0: The Transportation Department has a lot of goals for its latest five-year research, development, and technology plan, including a transportation system that's safer, greener, and more resilient than the one we have now. For highlights, we turn to DOT's Deputy Assistant Secretary and Chief Science Officer, Dr. Robert Hampshire. Dr. Hampshire, good to have you with us.
1: Great to be here today. Thanks, Tom.
0: And I'm struck in reading this its almost a 100-page plan that the complexity of the transportation system the different modes and uh, the different modes within the modes, electric, gas, and so forth, and then the chain from the consumer, the people that travel, all the way back to manufacturers. How do you incorporate all of this into any kind of a cogent plan?
1: (laughs) That's a great point. Thanks. So, you know, part of what the department's doing is really we want to make sure we have the safest, most efficient transportation system in the world that particularly improves the lives of the traveling public you know and it is a complex system but it's one that really at the end of the day we want to make sure that the communities from rural to urban in america really is competitive and 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 thriving
0: and i was also struck by the list there's about 8 different components of transportation some of them oversee the different modes or regulate the different modes but they all have research arms and that's where that science and technology piece roughly takes place
1: yeah, yeah, absolutely. So, part of what we're doing is as we're implementing the bipartisan infrastructure law, you know, particularly as we're moving towards you know building a, a better America, we're implementing now, you know, to improve the lives of Americans. But also, we need a plan for the future, and so and and a plan to help implement that those goals. And so that's where the research plan uh, comes in. It's really like a roadmap to really make sure that you know we're answering the questions, providing the research. To, so we can implement and have results today.
0: And maybe highlight what the overarching goals for all of the modes are, because each mode has its millions of sub-issues that it's got (laughs) to deal with. But somehow for the DOT level, it all adds up to a a set of about, what, five or six basic goals.
1: That's right. There's there's a big plan, but at the heart of it, one of the key goal is is safety. One of the forefront is making sure that the transportation system across all the modes are, are safe. But in addition to safety, you know, one of the other key priorities are about economic competitiveness, making sure that, you know, us as a a nation is competitive globally, but also fighting the climate crisis and, and resiliency of our infrastructure. So and also making sure that the system works for more people. That's the equity piece from rural to urban to everyone in between, making sure that the transportation system works for more Americans.
0: And there was one line in there where you stated that people locally should have more say over the decisions that are made by their transportation or local officials, whoever those might be. And how do you reconcile that with a national federal plan with these eight agencies? And yet, you know, like in the county I live in, They just unilaterally are narrowing roads to make room for bicycles that never appear and making all the motorists really mad. That kind of thing gets down to my street sometimes or my traffic light.
1: No, absolutely. And it's a system where we have at the federal level, we provide guidance and and leadership, but ultimately uh, in the bipartisan infrastructure law and the way the transportation system works, a lot of the decision at the state and local level. And so with this research plan, we held stakeholder engagement sessions. We talked to professionals from, you know, who work at the state level, local, uh, and, and federal. So really it is about input from everyone across the whole transportation system.
0: And the infrastructure bill, of course, gave a couple of hundred billion dollars specifically to roads, bridges, rail systems, and so forth. And is the research that is required to be able to spend that in the most wise way possible?
1: Absolutely. So part of it is making sure, you know, what we're implementing now to making sure that those funds are used the most effectively uh, now. But we want to make sure that we're building a transportation system for the future. One that, you know, because when you build a bridge, it lasts for a long time. And so we want to make sure that's done using the best practices, using making sure that uh, the most effective data, the uh, most current approaches. So absolutely is about building and supporting infrastructure now, but making sure it's ready uh, for the future as well.
0: And briefly, the research specifically that will be done, and we'll talk about what some of those topics might be, but is that done by the agencies themselves in federal laboratories? Those exist, and some of the transportation-related research takes place out of DOT, NASA, Homeland Security, or is it mostly through grants to academic and think tanks and those types of groups?
1: I'd say a little bit of all of the above. Uh most of the research uh, that's done by the in the bipartisan infrastructure law, a lot of the funding, like I said, goes to the states and the states you know provide research. But us as a federal Department of Transportation as well, we you know, we do some of that work internally, but much of it through contractors, through academics through researchers across the nation.
0: We're speaking with Dr. Robert Hampshire. He's Deputy Assistant Secretary for Research and Technology and the Chief Science Officer at the Transportation Department. And give us some examples of specific types of research that need to be done. I know one of the priorities is a more resilient transportation system that can recover from disasters and, you know, frequently a given disaster can have multimodal effects.
1: Yes, that's right. Really part of, like I said, safety is one of our number one priorities. So certainly uh, research that makes roads and drivers uh, a safer one approach is we unveiled something called the National Roadway Safety Strategy, which really is an all hands on deck approach to make sure that both roads, vehicles are safe, but also people are driving at safe speeds, making sure that something called post crash care, So after a crash does happen, making sure that, you know, ambulatory services and and so forth are are using the greatest, latest techniques to make sure people survive those crashes. And so specifically, the National Roadway Safety Strategy is a really specific framing for a lot of the not just research, but action that we're taking uh, here today.
0: And up in the air, there's been some transportation kind of issues lately that have affected the country. Some of them relate to modernization of the or by the FAA of its own systems. And the next gen seems to be ever out there in the future for completion. And the NOTAM system, which nobody ever heard of till it failed, uh, it has a 10 year modernization plan and no real but that's different from research. That's just getting agency activities of long standing into gear. So how does that relate? I mean, what are the next research areas, say, for air transportation?
1: That's a great question. You know, our national airspace uh, and our system, you know, is one of the, in some ways, the envy of the world. Some of the safety record, and so that's something we, that's a department want to continue to invest in and and focus on when it comes to safety. Uh, but some of the new emerging issues are things in something called advanced air mobility. That's like uh, unmanned aerial systems, something called vertical takeoff and lift systems. These are, you know, small planes, electric, or even, you know, uh, the future has, you know, even autonomous aviation. So these are things, you know, in the future, but really the research plan contemplates, you know, trying to lay out a a framework for those uh, systems. So yeah, uh, UAS, that's Unmanned aerial systems and advanced air mobility are some of the new emerging topics in aviation.
0: In that case, then, DOT has to work a lot with NASA because a lot of Absolutely. the research falls on them. There's a lot of interplay between NASA and FAA.
1: Absolutely. It's so a hall of government approach when it comes to some of those newer aviation topics. Uh, so we, we do collaborate and, and uh, actively with uh, other agent cover, interagency partners, well, maybe and, this time. industry.
0: I was thinking maybe this time around we really will see everybody have a helicopter. But that idea goes back to <laughs> about 1950, I think. But maybe this time, you know, drunks in helicopters—that'll be fun. And what about rail? Again, that's of course we had that crash, you know, that has turned people to the idea of rail safety. And here again, there's a lot of systems that are known that can help rail safety, but. They've been expensive and slow to get implemented on every mile of track in the country.
1: Yeah, the the research plan also, you know, has a, a rail. That's one of the our key modes. Again, leading with safety, we, we know that we need to continue to invest and, and improve safety in rail. And so that's that's one thing that's in the plan. But there are systems that we've that are being implemented. Uh, that really something called positive train control. You know right. systems that really use systems like GPS to make sure that trains keep a safe distance from each other, or that they can stop and brake appropriately. So those those kind of uh, systems are contemplated in, in this research plan as well.
0: And by the way, a lot of the track in the United States is in terrible condition. That's primarily the railroad's own financial responsibilities. Is there anything in the infrastructure bill that helps the just the basic infrastructure of rail, the tracks and bridges that trains go on.
1: Yeah. So the infrastructure bill really did invest in, in rail in big ways as both on the passenger side and also the freight side. And so there are investments there that are, you know, that our federal railroad administration is is taking on as a mode. And in the research at, in the department, we certainly are supporting some of those key priorities led with the rail safety.
0: And so what does the Just give us uh, the visionary standpoint view of what the transportation system would look like, given the research agenda to try to get the nation there.
1: No, uh, you know, I use a metaphor where, you know, we used to think that all the planets revolved around the Earth. Right. And so we had everyone who revolved around us. We were in the center, you know, And, and but then we learned that, you know, actually, no, the Earth revolves around the sun. And so it's a similar thing here. We want the transportation system to to revolve around people. We want not just people have to revolve around their their mode, their car, the their, their, the rail, their micro scooter. The it should be centered around people and communities, and then all the other modes and ways to travel revolve around uh, the people. And so that's really the the vision here is one that's a people centered uh, a vision that. That really is something called a system of systems. We view, you know, ways of getting around and it it could, you know, and we want to make that as as effective and as efficient and safe for as many people in the traveling public as possible.
0: And maybe just a final observation, there is so much difference between people and the modes and the way they get around in rural areas versus urban. It seems like the place for the most progress to happen quickly is in the really dense areas more so than in... The one traffic light town out there in the middle of north dakota
1: well you know in the in the plan or in the research plan and also in the bipartisan infrastructure law there's really terrific programs for rural transportation that's across all modes from a rural aviation at small airports all the way through travel and access to hospitals in rural areas we know access to groceries and food are a big deal in rural areas and so the department is working on that uh, with our partners in the local and and states. And so rural uh, transportation actually is a a really big deal and something that we uh, certainly care deeply about as we're trying to build out a safe, economically competitive transportation system.
0: But teleportation's still not here yet, huh? Uh,
1: not quite yet. You know, uh, that's, we're working on it.
0: All right. Well, we won't be beamed up quite so soon. Dr. Robert Hampshire is Deputy Assistant Secretary for Research and Technology and the Chief Science Officer at the Transportation Department. Thanks so much for joining me.
1: Thank you. Thanks for having me.
0: And we'll post this interview together with a link to the plan at com slash Federal Drive. Hear the Federal Drive wherever you drive or fly. Subscribe wherever you get your podcasts.
2: Hello, and welcome to the Lessons in Leadership podcast. I'm your host, Shane Canfield, CEO of WEPA. Today, I'm thrilled to be joined by Dr. David Wilson, president of Morgan State University. David has had a fascinating career and has garnered a long record of accomplishments from More than 30 years of experience in higher education administration. Came to Morgan State in 2010 from the University of Wisconsin, where he was chancellor of both the University of Wisconsin Colleges and the University of Wisconsin Extension. Before that, he held numerous other administrative posts in academia, including vice president for the University of Outreach, associate provost at Auburn University, and um, associate provost of Rutgers. And when we were talking, Earlier, too, you had just mentioned that you had a, um, a wonderful nomination at the American Academy of Arts and Sciences. And David, thank you so much for joining me.
3: Shane, it is indeed a pleasure uh, to be invited into this conversation with you.
2: It's not in your um, in the short bio here, but I also know you served in some capacity in the Obama administration. Yes, I did. As a matter of fact, as I was leaving the University of Wisconsin,
3: where I oversaw the UW colleges, I accepted the presidency at Morgan, and on my way into the presidency at Morgan in 2010, my name was advanced to President Obama to be considered as a member of his board of advisors on historically black colleges and universities. And so I accepted and served there for eight years during his two terms.
2: Amazing. You've had a fascinating career at numerous universities across the U.S. How did you become passionate about the education field? And what are some of the biggest lessons that you've learned? First of all, I was made aware of
3: a quote by Horace Mann, who was a great 19th century educator who really gave rise to public education in the United States. And he was the first to utter the phrase that education is the great equalizer. And why that resonated with me was because I grew up in
2: From that point on, I committed myself you know, to education. It's an amazing story and two things occur to me. One, it's almost incomprehensible that this happened during our lifetime. You know, that to me is uh, almost shocking. It's also truly inspiring that you recognized that you could do more and sought out to do that and were successful at it. So when you think back on that experience, How has that informed, shaped, influenced your leadership position now as president of Morgan State? It, It had to have had an impact, but how would you articulate that? So if you go
3: back to that Alabama environment, what I saw, it was just so many people, my own brothers and sisters who were 10 times smarter than I was, but my first five brothers were illiterate. They never got an opportunity to show the nation how brilliant they were. Therefore, I really took on this whole notion that my life had to be about ensuring that individuals who were drowning in potential and they didn't realize it would be in a position where they would realize it. I was never ever about
2: bringing that into existence for them. You've had so many opportunities uh, that you could do other things, perhaps at um, larger organizations. But you're where you want to be on purpose, by design, for the kinds of reasons you just talked about, that it's it's fulfilling. But can you talk a little bit more about that? There have been so many so-called top
3: 50 institutions in the United States that have come aggressively after me. And, you know, I flirted with a couple of them, and I went home to Alabama because these two were very serious. And my family is brutally honest with me, and they keep me grounded. So I flew down and began to talk with them about these institutions that were coming after me. I was thinking they would be impressed. And when I finished, my youngest sister said to me, now, are you finished? Clearly, Someone asked mister Susulu, we're leaving this conversation thinking that you harbor no anger towards a society that locked you away for twenty seven years. Are we leaving with the correct conclusion? He said, I harbored no anger or bitterness toward the society that locked me away for all of those years. Because I and others like me knew that what we were doing was the right thing. If you commit yourself to doing the right thing, there should never ever be any space in your heart for anger or bitterness, and that was transformational for me. And why I respect and admire Mr. Nelson Mandela and Mr. Walter Sisulu today.
2: That is a great story, and it, you know, with all the accomplishments through your life, I'm sure it had a great impact on your ability to to go as far as you have, and you're still going.